Welcome back to Hacker Hangouts on a Saturday where we're diving into hacking tools, the ethics of them. And that's kind of a weird one, but I have been in the industry for a while now and I came across an interesting situation. Talking with a client, they had an issue where someone had gotten into their uh, their network, specifically their email. And as we were talking, they're like, but we have two-factor enabled. I'm like, oh, that's pretty easily bypassable with like Evil Engine X2. And they're like, Obviously, I'm going on tech jargon. Then all of a sudden, they're like, "Wait, wh- wh- is that like some malware you need to purchase online?" I'm like, "No, it's it's like on it's on GitHub. They update it pretty frequently. Actually, they're pretty good with their patch cycles on it." And it launched into one of the funniest conversations of like, "How is that? How is that legal?" And I think we come across so many tools, everything from, we'll say, the Flipper Zero, which maybe my on the edge where you go, that's it can be used for malicious purposes, but it also doesn't need to be. There's also a binary ninja or Ida pro. Like these are very expensive pieces of software, but you can absolutely use them to create malware. Things like actually, bypassing actually, CrowdStrike. Binary ninja is not expensive. Uh, just a little plug there for that team. Binary ninja and individual license is pretty affordable. What is it? Do you know? Uh, I, it used to be like a hundred bucks. Like it's really, that's not bad at all. Yeah, Ida Pro is stupidly expensive. Yeah, we had to do Ida some like fifteen thousand dollars for like a full package. Yeah, it's it's utterly ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, so like that's that's kind of like the question is there is a lot of software out there, and I I almost like it's going to be hard to break this one down because it, it, I guess even even easier can software in and of itself be considered unethical? Like I know that's a weird one, but like can software in and of itself be unethical? And I throw out examples. Anyone want to wager? Throw throw out an opinion. I don't think so. I think software is all based upon how you use it, and not blame the person, not the actual software. If we made, if everyone made secure software, if we all had secure coding practices, we were all ethical. We all lived in like this mass utopia. Then it would be immaterial. But because of we're having to develop software to prove to companies that they have security bugs in them for them to go through and patch. I think that all software is inherently useful and not necessarily ethical or unethical or malicious or, or malicious. So, so like we should probably draw some lines around this, right? Like is, (laughs) is software, can software be unethical in the general case, I think is a much different question than, if I write a rootkit example for Windows or Linux and then post that software on GitHub for anyone to pull down, is that unethical or is that simply a demonstration of what's possible? And I'll I think, pull. and and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. <clears throat> I think there is probably a line at which we we would all agree, like maybe don't cross that line (laughs) and that's usually where like this is where it's getting hard for governments to go like what constitutes a hacking tool air quotes yeah and i I would i'll i'll add to this which you're saying rootkits i would say the two i've come across recently is one was bypass to a lot of the heuristics for like crowdstrike and whatnot which is a great endpoint protection uh not a sponsor. I actually went like Windows Defender. I think Windows Defender is freaking amazing. I know that might be not be a popular opinion, but 
writing a bypass for that and posting that out. That means anyone can launch malware. Now, for pen testers and security testers, it's just the big, weird uh, back and forth that can happen when you're a security tester. If I need to find those things so I can bypass their security, but at the same time, if I post them online, one of the things I was fascinated with when a lot of the ransomware started was how it can propagate, how it encrypts files, how it can be detected, but then just how can it be self-aware enough to go, have they paid the ransom? Okay, I need to go download the keys. So I created my own ransomware with propagation rights and everything like that. And I actually originally put it on GitHub and immediately was like, this is probably a terrible idea. I should probably <laughs> not do this. But that one that one felt mainly is like my fear with it was I wanted to put it out there for a corporate environment so that we could test it. That's actually what, one of the other reasons motivating is we had a client who wanted to do malware analysis specifically around ransomware, and they wanted to see how well their environment could could handle it. They had, got, had gotten new endpoint protection, so I wanted to build one. But I put it on GitHub. It's not going to be used in corporations. It's going to be used to like encrypt grandma's pictures, and then poor grandma doesn't have her pictures anymore. Like that, that was the thing that kept me up at night, and I didn't release it, but releasing malware like legitimately ransomware on github is that crossing a line i don't think so <laughs> of course i mean it's like absolutely not under any circumstances absolutely <laughs> not release all of the ransomware everywhere for free um that's going to be a quote that's going to live on forever now in video that's our clip release today. all ransomware everywhere for free <laughs> yes <Gula. laughs> and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that it's we need to be able to start to fix these issues and be able to identify them and take them apart because not every piece of ransomware is the same piece of ransomware. They all change and evolve over time. So building the protections against those as time goes on, it's um, a lesson in, yes, how software runs, um, learning the, the education of learning and figuring out and troubleshooting and building and solving these problems as time goes on. An intellectual so, exercise. Would, so so let's, 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 take, uh, let's take one thing into account and then I'll let Gator go, which is that we're all gonna have a similar bias here, right? We're all working in the industry. We've spent a lot of time in the industry. We're gonna have a similar bias to what Richard Feynman uh, said. Uh, about his work uh, on nuclear and other things within science, which is to every man is given the key to the gates of heaven, the same key opens the gates of hell, and so it is with science. Recognize that that's a very scientist approach to this problem, as opposed to a very public, you know, legislature approach to this problem as to what is quote unquote reasonable and ethical. But you Gator, can throw, yeah, I'll let Gator and then I'll throw maybe a, <clears throat> throw a little grenade out there. Uh, I was going to say, I think uh, uh, Gowry went through and put that more elegantly. Ultimately, it's a tool, right? Just like anything else, if it's an axe, if it's a hammer, if you have access to that tool, is the tool writer responsible for how you're using it or writing or making it, right? And that can be said of other, uh, I'll say weapons at this point without getting technical, because, you know, there's a lot of different things out there. The problem with this is if we never test to these other tools or pieces of software, uh, how are we going to increase the security of everybody? So that the raising tides floats all ships, right? We are never aware of security of these other issues that are now popular that are 
becoming more and more of an issue. It, this is a double-edged sword, and I'll hand yeah, it off. Hold on. Now, let, let's try and make this analogy go far too far to make everyone feel awkward, which is guns. <sighs> like, let's you 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 danced around this, but effectively, we're not we're not talking about throwing a gun out there and having people nope. who have been trained on it or people who have like aware of how to use one who have done safety. Like again, th- there's a difference between I- I'm going to buy a gun. I'm going to go hunting or I'm going to, I'm going to buy a gun and I'm going to, or use it for self to whatever it is, but I'm going to get, give it to an adult who knows how to use it versus I'm going to leave it out on the table for every kid to find because you can put malware online and GitHub can be grabbed by anyone you put security tools on there, any child can grab them, any script kitty can grab them and run them. Like So to make the analogy go far too far, you're effectively throwing a loaded gun in the middle of the room and saying, eh, maybe, as long as you're only using it for its correct purpose. So for ransomware, how many of you guys are using it as a bug out for your computer? Or if you're having to ditch your computer and you don't want like beds and stuff, coming in and raiding your stuff. How many of you have like some ransomware algorithms that you're running that you just hit go and then leave the building and well, it encrypts everything on. on your system. In, you encryption or ransomware, because that you're using those terms and they're not necessarily interchangeable because we can talk about end to end encryption too. Right. There's that ransomware there's an to obfuscate to everything and destroy data, if you will. So this actually, all right, let me, let me tell you guys a story. And this is kind of going down the same route as, as where we're going now. And this will maybe clarify some of the questions. And it was the story of the day I realized in the U S Navy that I am a cog in a giant machine, whether I am wielding a rifle or, you know, typing code on a keyboard. Um, and it was, you know, funny enough, it was the, uh, a a month after I discovered a research paper called Disclosure, which was about detecting botnets, right? And at the time, I was working in a security SOC, or security SOC. I was working in a SOC, and we were doing network analysis, and I was writing tools to detect bad guys on the network, you know, because we had NetFlow and other, other data. So I took this paper that was published, and I went, well, cool. I'm going to take the ideas from this, uh, which a few of them are relatively simple. If you guys are familiar with Zipfian distributions, it's the way that the most languages are laid out has this distribution of which characters in the alphabet are most common, and then derivatives of that, you know, what combinations of characters are most common. And basically saying, let's take DNS requests, compare them to the Zipfian distribution, and recognize that most websites have a relatively English or whatever language distribution. And if we are able to detect the deviations from that, well, that's a pretty good indication of machine behavior, right? And so I, I basically took the, this paper called Disclosure and I ran with it and I built the system that detected botnets and we found a bunch of things and we cleaned a bunch of things up. And a lot of it was low, uh, low lying fruit, but like you got to close those things off too. Um, but it, After I had built this thing and I saw how effective it was, I went, wow, there's a lot of malware writers out there that are really stupid about generating these things. But it's also like slow-lying fruit. You don't really have to care. I also realized that if I published this code or anyone published or even, you know, the paper itself was an example to a malware writer how to bypass these detection systems. Right. And the disclosure of the, you know, the algorithms or the mechanism used here would be just as useful 
to a malware writer to be able to bypass these detection systems, which I just said was relatively effective in identifying quite a lot of, um, this is actually at the time, I think like when Conficker was huge, like 2010, mm -hmm. 2011 timeframe, okay. decade ago now. Um, and yeah, so like that was the day I realized like, <laughs> oh, all of my work can just be used to, to weaponize things too. And that was the moment, you know, that 20 year old gallery was just like, oh, I'm just a cog in a machine. Like the, the like the whoever I'm working for can just take this and go like, oh, you're doing good defensive things with this. Let's make attack. And I'm like, well, that's OK. I guess I. Yeah. I, I'd like to think, though, there's some there's some level of obscurity. And again, let's use the baseball bat as an example. You can use a baseball <laughs> bat for its intended purpose or you can grab it and like bash a car in with it. At a certain point, like there is an understanding that it can be used just for that purpose and we can sell them for everyone. Like, I think most tools fit into that category of eh, it, it's mostly used for this, but yeah, it could be abused for this. There's other ones like Death Star, for instance, which I've used and it's a great tool. And uh, I want to say bite leader, but this is one of those funny terms where. I told you my med USA story or am I going to repeat? I'm going to repeat this one because I find it, it freaking hilarious when we do security testing and when we're learning security, it like now it's great. There's hack the box. There's try hack me. There's like tons of different resources online. Binary Ninja has tons of resources free, just like out there for anyone to have. When we were learning, it was like IRC channels and you heard a whisper and then you go over, check out a forum and maybe there's like a post somewhere and you're like, you're doing it all like in your basement trying to figure it out and you come across like within these tools we have great names for them hydra and death star and all these great names binary ninja like just great names and as i was researching i found one which was just i liked a little better than hydra hydra's for brute forcing passwords or doing credential stuff i found one which is a little bit better it's called med usa it was fantastic in med usa i used forever many many years and then it was during an interview and a conversation, but it was an interview for a job. And they're saying like, can you talk us through your methodology? Things like that. And I'm like, yeah, so normally I do this. I'd grab credentials. I do this. Eventually I would go and I try like credential stuffing or something like that. Uh, and they're like, Oh, do you have a tool that you prefer? And I go, yeah, there's there. Hydra is a big one, but they're med USA is like a, a great one. Person looks at me on med USA. Med USA. I, I haven't heard of that one. Medusa. And in that moment, <laughs> I had this like complete twist of my head where I'm like for, for like eight years, I've called it med USA and it was Medusa because that was the name of it. It's like one of these phrases. Like another one happened like in my thirties, I always thought it was take it for, take it for granted and not take it for granted. And it was like, it's one of those things. It was like, I've been, I've been saying this wrong for 30 years and no one said anything. Uh, so going back to it though, like, Death Star and things like that is like those are those feel like they sure pen testers can use them, but they have been weaponized. Death, Death Star has been weaponized online. Um, Cobalt Strike, relatively like it's a C2 so a software. I can buy it. We've used it. It's fun. It's great. It runs it run it controls your shells for it. It has been weaponized and used within malware attacks. So, Gator, you haven't talked in a while. Let me hand it over to you. <laughs> so, I mean, this again, it comes back down to any of the other tools that are out there, right? So all the offensive tools that Hack5 makes, 
or that oh uh, so the omg cables the original pineapples and the whole bit we've got to be able to continue to research be able to play with it so are am i choosing to go through and release a c2 online versus if i'm using somebody else's tools I'm not sure that I would ever necessarily release that. I'm not a software writer. I'm more of the blue side defense. I love the red teaming side, don't get me wrong. But I don't have enough experience to say, oh, I'll write my software and go ahead and put it out there online for folks for that purpose. If you need me to harden something, no problem, bro. If you want me to put a honeypot up, I got you. But yeah, I don't know, man. That That's an interesting thought process. When you look at just even trying to write a, a rubber ducky script, and say this is my intended use case now you can go through and get like a bug bounty or reward for contributing that back to the community which is great and some people go on the forums and like hey so these look interesting but that doesn't nearly tap what the entire rubber ducky can do it's like yeah because this can do a lot more nobody's posting that online in the public forms though so i put i I, I want to I wanna pick on the rubber ducky for a second because it's, it is really funny. I don't know if you guys saw this, but I think it was like three weeks ago. Maybe it was four weeks ago. And, and Gator's totally going to roll his eyes at this and huff. But Linus Tech Tips posted their first video on the rubber ducky. Did and they're they? like, don't plug this in. It's, it was just Dang. like, Linus, you're like a decade late to the, <laughs> to, the, to the game. Like everyone knows about a rubber ducky for a really long. I remember when they came out. I was at the first DEF CON when they came out and they were selling them. It was a big thing. Um, but no, like a rubber ducky is a good example. But like if we even want to trivialize this a little further, you know, I watch a lot of lockpicking lawyer. Um, he he has his own covertinstruments.com and he's made like easy to use picking tools that are basically keys. They operate just like keys, but then they have these little um, like it's pre it's preset for quick set locks. And I forget what the other common one is, but like mm -hmm. they're tailor made to pick like quick set locks. And it almost looks like it's a, it's almost as trivial to use as a key. Like you give it to a six year old, and the six year old will be able to pick one of these like front door locks, right? I mean, not a trigger has his, he teaches his kids how to lock pick. Right. It's with his hobby ones. with his kids. It's a, it's a good it's a good fine motor tool, uh, fine motor yeah, uh, a teaching tool. But this, so this pick lock picks are a great example of this because in many states, just owning pot lock picks is considered uh, under the law. It's called prima facie evidence of a crime. You can be charged with burglary or intent to commit burglary just because you have lockpicks on you. Um, and if you didn't know that, you should go read the lockpick laws in your state uh, because they're like, I can't cross the line into D.C. with lockpicks on me because they're illegal in D.C. Same with Virginia, um, but not in Maryland. Uh, so <clears throat> like lockpicks are a good example of this. At what point in selling some of these tools where you make it so bizarrely easy to pick locks the average lock that's on most people's front doors quick set locks or yeah i forget what they're called at what point do you consider it unethical to just make them available right i think most of us and this is why i said most of us on the stream you know from our perspectives are going to take the 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 perspective of locks are so bizarrely broken anyway so just sell them all like who cares 
right? Like they're so trivial to pick. I just I just helped pick a lock at my wife's uh, my wife's uh, company because they locked themselves out of a door and I was two blocks away. I was like, cool, I'd bring my picks, did it. And they were like, oh my God, that took way faster than I expected. Um, but, you know, lock picks are a good example of the difference between us who thinks these things should just be available because you're going to, it's going to be possible anyway, and it's more important to expose the inherent flaws in a lock and the public and lawmakers who have a very different opinion on where that ethical boundary is. And I don't think it's fair to say that there is no ethical boundary. I think if you were to put a fully functional Windows rootkit along with zero-day vulnerabilities that were not disclosed beforehand up on GitHub, Everyone would be rightfully pissed at you. Well, I think there's, I think there's a difference though, and I think this is part of the game that Gator was kind of referring to of blue team versus red team. So lockpicks, I can teach people lockpick. You can teach children to lockpick. You can do all these things with lockpicks, but that is a very binary system. I'm going to teach one person how to lockpick, and they may go teach a dozen people how to lockpick but they're only able to pick what lock is sitting in front of them versus I go write a rootkit and I throw it up on GitHub and now there's a thousand or 10,000 people that download that rootkit and deploy it out to millions of systems across the planet. So there's definitely some scale in there, but blue teaming versus red teaming, how many of the blue team tools were generated because a red team wrote a tool that didn't exist and blue team's like, oh, I think I need to go create this to block this. Or how many blue team tools were, I think we can block and protect this. And then red team goes out there and it's like, okay, how do I bypass this? And we're incrementally increasing security. We're making things more safe as time goes on. Um, but still, the vast majority of the internet's low-hanging fruit. How many people actually update Windows? How many people install updates, update virus definitions, all these different things? Most tools out there that you find in the wild aren't necessarily zero days. They're out there attacking things that were should have been patched a decade ago that haven't no, been patched. I, I, I'm going to cut you off on that one because that's, <laughs> that, that, there's no, there's there's not, especially within wi like Windows domains and whatnot. Most of the exploits which I'm able to escalate in networks with are unpatchable. It's it's functionality that exists. Things like Kerber roasting, yeah, there's protections for it. But like it, when these things become easier, like most of the things like SMB redirection, NTLMX relay, man, the uh, like man, the middle V6, like all of these things, it is incredibly hard to bypass. But the the two things you had mentioned, which I think are, are interesting. One was Gowry had mentioned if you're releasing it and not charging for it. So talking about like, is it does it cross an ethical boundary for one whether or not you charge for your release and then the second one because this goes back to something wi-fi addict put which i do want to hit which is like the pegasus software which is used to like backdoor a bunch of phones and they were selling these exploits and then the other one gulo had mentioned was mat like mass damage versus few less damage like lock picking i can only lock pick one lock I, with a bat, I can only bash in one car. Get that that close analogy again. Well, look, are certain tools because they're mass widespread? Like, are they more dangerous? And then, lastly, on the third point, is <clears throat> actually, no, I'll stick with those ones. So, 
is it does it cross an ethical boundary when it when you have to charge for the tool? And two, does it is there ethics and oh, well, how many people can be affected by this? So, as far as money goes, is that something where we're now protecting ourselves from script kitties because they can't afford the software, but we're still doing the intellectual exercise of hey, I'm going to send this out there. I don't necessarily want to make money on this, but by putting a paywall in front of it, that's preventing like mass, mass distribution. Eventually somebody will buy it, post it online, and then it gets out that way. But the paywall kind of prevents that a little bit in the beginning. So it's more ethical to charge for your exploits is what I'm hearing. Yes. <laughs> way more ethical to make money off my exploits. I mean, oh. things like... I think the question you have to ask there is whether or not you trust the government more than you trust criminals. <laughs> well, th th this probably feeds no. into our next one. It's like there's one side of me which goes, these things are already out there. You know, you pick C2 systems, pick your choice. You got CrowdStrike, you have PowerShell Empire, you got Metasploit, you have Silent Trinity. Like these are all GitHub, great projects, sophisticated. But like, what about things like Pegasus? Like they built a business around i'm gonna throw this one up from wi-fi addict great question what category would you consider pegasus to be are governments required to be ethical governments are not required to be ethical that's not a hard question they're absolutely can, not required should be can you not. can you give me can you give me a rundown of what pegasus is i'm unfamiliar yeah so Pe pegasus from my understanding was it was root kits for phones that were exploit they, they would their company goes find zero days for phones uh, and then sells them to other government agencies in order to, or they're a private organization, they can sell it to whomever for the prices they were charging. Really, only government authorities could buy them. So, for a government who does want to spy on its people, they can buy it. They can root very targeted specific phones. And most of the exploits that they were selling, which ran their system, was like, uh, I send a text message and now I gain a root access to their phone. And then I pull stuff like that. So, and what they weren't doing is they weren't providing that information back to Apple to be able to patch it or to Android to be able to patch it. I think the thing which made them mostly in the news was they were finding them for Apple products because, let's face it, Gator, Android's just easier to root. It used to be. <laughs> Not anymore, bro. And I run both. Come on now. Um, the fact is that they locked down a lot of the Android operating system. But the whole, hey, uh, Apple's more privacy conscious. Yeah, as long as you just trust Apple. And they yeah. are starting to prove that now at this point as well. So there's no one brand that's going to be the most secure, the most private. At any point in time, it's only going to give you a small window. And then you're going to have to pivot and find out the new one that's going to be giving you a small window. How long is your information going to be on a device to where you can have it encrypted long enough or you can move to another device that... That information is not going to be there forever for information to be gathered off of you. Um, I'll also drop a couple links because uh, Digital Tinkerer and I have been going through and talking about the Pegasus story as it comes up in the news for the last two years. And there is a long story about exactly who has been developing it, who's been buying it, where it's been used, and it's absolutely nuts. So I'll drop so a couple links there. So th this this is an interesting this is an interesting case because we're trying to really what you're trying to ask the question is where do we draw the line on what hacking services if you will should be regulated and how right so Oof. let me let me toss let, no let me toss it out like this right is providing Pegasus support 
you know, to we'll say the UK or the US or even China or even India, you know, you know, going to the major comp- countries in the world versus, you know, is that ethical versus providing that support to like North Korea? Right. And I know I threw China in there as, as one example, but like there's a there's a marketable difference between North Korea and China. I think we can all agree on that. Right. Oh, yeah. And like this is where I'm saying, like, where's that line or like the Russian mob? Right. Like, but but can't you, doesn't this fall back into the oh, it's a tool. It It's not up to me. To, it was funny. It was uh, who was it in our general chat? Yeah, Braden said it was it was the real genius quote. Oh, I'm gonna lose it. Where was it? It was I, well, I can't. Oh, was it not jan- janky? I will find it. Your so, code can be used. So, yeah, I'll let you go. I'll find it. The question. The question is: is is there an ethical line in who you provide those services to, or is it all just ethical, or is it all just unethical? Right. So, like, by the way, it was what, our app. Its application is not our problem. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So, can we take that one step farther and say, if I'm supplying it to North Korea or I'm supplying it to the U.S., is that an ethical question? What if we just took it one step farther? Of, does it matter if I open it up to the entire planet versus uh, like targeted systems? So, there's like encryption algorithms that we you can't export yeah. across borders and stuff. But if you just open it up to the planet, then there is a key. And first of all, that's that's not exactly true because export controls 1000% apply to you and not just businesses. So if you if you take one of those encryption algorithms and just open it up on GitHub, yeah, you might be going to prison. <laughs> just to be clear. Like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how export controls work. So anyway, um step back though, is there there the marked difference between that is whether or not you keep the information closed or available to the public. And when you go to the level of available to the public, you make it possible to patch those things, right? So we're talking about on the closed side, we're keeping it closed and not going available to the public on GitHub, right? Which there is a difference. I think we can agree on that difference, yes? I would say that closed software in general is unethical. (laughs) Gator's going to agree with that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay with this. <laughs> oh goodness. You got my attention. <laughs> I I think I don't, like, I, I don't I don't think I entirely disagree with that to be honest. I would <laughs> Oh, I I completely disagree. Where like where, how do you I mean like I, mainly because like I think like being able to make money off of open source software, maybe we haven't ado- we haven't evolved within open source licensing far enough. But for the most part, it is difficult to make money off open source software if you are a small development shop. Gator, you're, we, we can debate this one if you want, but if I create a piece of software, I throw it on our website. Uh, I throw it on my website and what? Charge for support? Yeah, I mean, so I'm going to I'm I'm put, it, put it this way. Red Hat is an anomaly. <laughs> it is not the norm. <laughs> you're right. right. And it's because of the people, to be honest with you. And and. Yeah, okay, I, I work for Red Hat straight up, right? I'm not going to – I've talked about that before. Red Hat is an open source company. It open source all of its software. But the difference is, is that you're paying for support. You're paying for the patches and updates that come a lot faster. Anybody can go run the damn thing with the free developer license. And I'll just shut it down there by saying, I'm running this yeah. in my home lab outside of my work because I want to make sure I'm having the most up-to-date system I can possibly have. 
and that's completely that's not outside the... of the things that I get. We're getting you know, off track, right? Yeah, the, we'll get off track. The, this know, is a good conversation, though. That's why I shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, but, the, the question was, is is there, you know, there there's, I think, two ethical tracks, right? There is the rough publishing of everything out to the open, which makes it available and makes it possible to patch those things. Because, for example, in the Pegasus case, Apple would be able to go in and, and view what's going on and then patch those things, right? But that's not what they're doing. They're keeping it closed source and, and they're keeping it closed and selling it as a product. And is there an ethical boundary that should be regulated in that realm? I think like most of us probably agree that just tossing something up on GitHub we can make the ethical argument for or against, but ultimately, like, it, it's not really going to matter because it's open to everyone. And then, you know, you can have the rat race or the the uh, the cat and mouse game out in the public. And I think that's one interaction. When the cat and mouse game is not in the public sphere, and you have a company or a group of people that are hoarding security information and keeping things intentionally insecure, right? is there an ethical boundary there that makes some of their tools unethical and development of those tools unethical? I think it's really hard to speak a lot uh, through a lot of these with generalities because one of the things really you talked about is like encryption and immediately my mind goes to end to end encryption. It's not end to end encryption. If it's, if it's not open source, like no one's going to believe it's end to end encryption. Right. Like, Full end-to-end so, end encryption without being able to talk, review the source. Let's not talk in general generalities. Let's talk about Pegasus. Is what Pegasus do, is doing, should it be considered unethical or should there be guardrails on who and why they provide these services? Who, who they provide it to and why? Gator, you've been living and breathing this. What's your thoughts? I'm sorry. I was uh, busy going through and smashing bots that were going through and posting girls in your area. I got oh, yeah. I, I completely banned it. <laughs> okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, no, I banned like, it on my click, end. Click, click. You know what's uh, funny? So, is so, those bots would be super effective if they came in and were like, hacking tools in your area. We'd be like, <laughs> like there's a know. flipper zero near you. It's like, ooh, I oh, got a friend. Gosh. <laughs> Come here. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, so repose the question, Gowry, so G so Gator can jump in because he's been researching yeah. Pegasus. So I mean, like, let's let's not talk in general generalities. Well, whatever. Uh, let's talk about Pegasus. Is the like, Pegasus Med USA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is Med USA. What, is what Pegasus do is doing? Should it be considered unethical? Be one of the reasons because they are keeping their mechanisms and methods closed source and not necessarily making the world more secure, but instead keeping it insecure. And should that behavior be regulated in some way? Okay, so this goes into a couple different subjects and I'll, I'll put those up front in my opinion when it comes to Pegasus. Um, Pegasus is being used to spy on people, whether it's left, right, positive, negative, or whatever else. Part of this question also has to do with how we as an industry and we as society are dealing with disclosures. If it's responsible disclosure, if it's just, hey, I found something, I'm just going to put it on blast. Um, there's other folks that are also used. This is maybe a couple of years out of date on this, but there used to be uh, a site called Vupin where you would go through and to be able to look at the menu of exploits would cost you 10K. 
you couldn't buy any exploits off of there just to look at the menu would cost you that much. And that's been around and sites like that have been around for a long time. So this is where it gets to the fun part to where, all right, somebody is, is making this piece of software. They're pricing it to where governments, whether it's totalitarianism, if it's completely wanting to crush their people, they could buy this thing and they're okay with it because, hey, they're, they're getting their paycheck filled out at that point. Your question is, is it ethical uh, at that point to price it that way to where only governments can go through and purchase it? Not in my book, but at the same so, time, go, go ahead, Gulo. I want to hear this. J just a quick point. That has kind of changed in the industry. So ransomware has gone through and leveled the playing field. There's been a couple of studies on this of ransomware is dragging in enough money that it's not only governments that can now afford these tools. Other groups can now go out and buy these tools because they're raking in the dough from whatever cheap exploit they've done. And then they're just escalating it up and up and up and up. So it's not just governments anymore, but it, go ahead. It so when it, like... when it comes to regulation, though, the regulation is so far behind and oh, yeah. we're trying to right. go through and have people who are, we'll say, of the older generation understand what we are trying to even stay up to date with because technology is moving so quickly. How can we expect the folks in the U.S. at this point, as all I'm talking about, to make laws that are going to be enabled, let alone understand the technology of how to lock it down or make it legal or illegal. Well, and I don't have any trust in that it at gets, this point. It gets worse than that, right? Like, and, and when, this is where we get into like, can, can legislation or regulation actually be effective in this realm at all when the reality is, all right, so like if I wanna, if I wanna make a weapon, like a physical weapon, I have to physically make that somewhere in the world, right? If I want to make a cyber weapon, I can do that a VM on a VM in the cloud somewhere from literally anywhere in the world and then sell my product across boundaries without actually having to physically change locations. I could do it from Malaysia. I could do it from South or North Korea. I could do it from Russia. I could do it from anywhere, right? So like without a global government, if you will, that is willing to work with each other and russia is a good example of this where uh, and china to some extent too um where they effectively have state-sponsored actors that are not state-sponsored that they just kind of turn a blind eye to because they're useful rubes and in, in their political plans right and they're just kind of like we know that these groups are out there hurting people across borders because they just want to make money and we have no enforcement mechanism to stop them from doing so because they're operating from other countries, which is a completely different world than I'm going to make a physical weapon and then use it against someone or someplace, right? And what you're really alluding to is the fact that even if we were to make these regulations, there's no real enforcement mechanism, right? Well, and, so, and that's where we, hard. so that yeah. comes down to... Um, was a low orbit ion cannon when they released that out to the public and they were just like, okay, we're now going to attack X. And then everyone pointed everything to X. And that was a very good example of, well, um, non-defensive like attack software. I'm specifically attacking this target, opening it up to the planet and saying, okay, everyone aim at this. 
Yeah, it was part of the dangerous kitten package. Dangerous to go alone and take this, right? It was packaged up in a stenographic uh, uh, package of a JPEG of a person holding a kitten that said, you know, kitten meme that it's dangerous to go alone and take this. And then you unzipped it and there was there was Loic and a bunch of other hacking tools. I remember I downloaded it in like 20, 2009. <laughs> Ooh, see, part of me wonders, like, at the end of the day, so much of this just comes down to intent. Like so much, almost of our conversation has been about intent. What are you intending to do when you open source it? Are you intending this for the betterment of security or are you intending this to be profitable? Are you intending this to cause damage? Are you, and this gets in, or are you, or are you Gulo and you're just intending to enable chaos? But with this, it's like watch the world burn. (laughs) But with this, it is remarkably different. Like, when it comes to intent, we can guess about intent, but when it actually comes comes down to like the legality of it, like that that is determined by a jury of your peers, like to figure out whether your intent for something was. But I, yep. I find it interesting to me within software specifically, the, the intent up until like ransomware and things like that, there wasn't a monetary like direct monetary tie. Mm, I'll I'll, I'll pause this for a second. People go, oh, I lost all of my pinchers to ransomware. They're like, ah, you should have backed them up. Like, oh, they got into my my credit card and used my credit card. It's like, cool, anti-fraud, no problem. They got into my bank account, transferring money out of my account. Yeah, it's hard to pick up, but it's insured and the bank covers it. Like, all of a sudden, though, with um, uh, crypto and really like more cash ability to abilities to hold cash online crypto included now all of a sudden there is very monetary damages and now all of a sudden these things become compounded when you have things like LastPass. this was like happened like two days ago or something client data was accessed all of a sudden LastPass gets into it now you gain access to tons and tons and there is compounding damage all the way through so, so back, back in the day, back in my day, the the monetary gains were creating the zombies, creating the botnets, selling that information, selling the processing power sitting behind it. Now, anyone out there can go download ransomware and deploy it in their company or deploy it wherever. I'm not suggesting you do that, um, but it is easier. It's more accessible for people to do, but monetizing things back then it was only i want to say a few actors but there's probably hundreds or thousands of them out there that were generating these botnets and selling the time on these botnets and creating all these giant zombie networks um as far as the juries of my peers they will never convict me once they know my reasoning behind it everyone deserved everything they got gallery is immediately like i have no peers no one oh, yeah, I was going to say Gulo definitely has no peers. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that about myself, but I can't think of another peer for Gulo if if I had a week. I mean, what's what's interesting to me, especially when we talk about intent and the fi- finances of it, it's interesting to me that when when look we'll back when I was saying Med USA and not Medusa, see, I'm I'm, I'm calling. There's a callback earlier in the episode, but back back then. The monetization around malware was very straightforward. Like, here is a piece of malware. 
go here's a root kit go sell it here's here's terabytes of data you would pay what was it it was I think it was around $7 for a social security number. And then it was like $25 for a world of Warcraft account. That still cracks me up. That world of Warcraft was like <laughs> 10 times more, but it was also because it was easier to make money off a world of Warcraft account than social security number. But now there is so much nuance to these markets. You can have mm-hmm. an endpoint protection bypass specifically for CrowdStrike, which you could sell. You could have nothing but a C2 platform. You could have nothing but a new communication mechanism. Even more than that, you can sell malleable profiles for your malware, which will disguise your malware so it looks like different types of traffic. It is amazing to me how much the malware market has blossomed, where you're not just selling, up oh, here's a rootkit over here, but hold on, let me customize this and it's it's interesting to me how much of a market has been created around all the different pieces of these tools. We we I was having a discussion with about this with uh, some friends of mine as well, and and there's there's more opportunity, but the opportunity is also diluted, right? In the same sense that uh, cyber the, as an industry has exploded per se, but it's actually be becoming harder to begin operating in the industry on either side, blue or red or, you know, malware or whatever, just because there's so much of it. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. and I'll, I'll say this, I'll say this, um, you know, as much as we talk about everything being broken forever and how comical it is, like modern Linux and modern windows is, is pretty damn secure. Right. A lot of stuff comes out of misconfigurations as opposed to like Gucci zero day vulnerabilities or like not patching already mm-hmm. patched vulnerabilities, stuff like that. So when it comes to like operating in some of these like well, I, I call them Gucci markets where you're doing like zero day development, stuff like that is becoming harder and harder to operate within the industry because the industry has made it harder and harder to find bypass and, and, you know, get through some of these systems, which is ultimately good for the average consumer. Um, but at the same time, when we talk about some of the things that Silk was talking about previously, which is once you get into the network or once you get in, a lot of the stuff that you're doing is not an exploit per se. You're just utilizing the features available to you. Like ransomware by and large doesn't, exploit anything once it gets into your system it just uses the file system to encrypt the file system right and so you're really just making a specialized piece of software whose intent is to encrypt your file system right that's Mm -hmm. why we got into the whole logical like is this really a a weapon or is this just encryption type thing earlier um so so like the value of an individual piece of this the uh, an individual piece of any of these unethical hacking tools if you will has gone down because the ease of making them has gone up um which is kind of the basis for this discussion right like is making it easier to write these things an unethical <laughs> thing to do because you're 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 taking part in that cat and mouse game if you will and and yeah, sorry, kind of does, wrapping up, kind of like wrapping up a lot of the thoughts we had throughout this episode. Does it matter if it's it 
does the ethics of it matter whether it's easy to use or hard to use versus whether it's easy to write oh. or hard to write? Because things are oh. getting way harder to write because you're having to become more and more of a specialist to build those yes. tools. But things are becoming easier and easier to run because, well, the prolifics of open source and how the tools actually work becomes easier for other people to do. So is there an ethics versus complexity of ease of use versus ease of coding? So that also leads to uh, something else I've seen in the past InfoSec community of the gatekeepers saying, hey, you have to be at this level to be able to run this piece of software, right? So if I make it this level to where you can't just download it, do a dot slash to run the script, hey, I've done my due diligence to make sure the script kitty down the street who just gets started because he saw this Linus Tech Tip video on a rubber ducky can't get started. He has to at least go through a, a Linux course and then, oh, this dot slash thing makes executable. Okay, cool. Now I can go run that exploit. How do I, I also see the gatekeeping side of the house also play into that a little bit as well, which is interesting. I'm not a huge I mean, fan so, of gatekeeping. Uh, yeah, but I'll, at the I'll same throw it time, out there. We got into security. Like I know for me, I got into security because I loved like I want I wanted to be the spy. I wanted to be like the like hold on, right? Oh, my headset's getting in the way. Oh, I can't do it. I want to do the the hoodie. I wanted to oh, this is it's, it's ruining Fox the effect. Mask? It's like I I wanted to be the, the mission impossible breaking into stuff way back then. I was fascinated by like phone freaking and things like this. Like those were fascinating. Because it kind of skirted the, we'll say the, the norm. So like when yeah. you're going, oh well, in order to use a rubber ducky, like that's why I love rubber ducky flipper zero. It's not because they're great devices; they're fun. Don't get me wrong, but because it it, it connects me with the crazy Mission Impossible stuff that that we all wanted to be able to do when we got into the industry. I want to get back to Gulo's question: Is there is there an ethics behind? making malware easier to write versus uh you know operating at at one of these high levels and doing we'll say some of the gucci work the the zero day development work right like is there an ethical difference between someone writing a framework like i guess like a cobalt let me put it this way cobalt strike versus actively searching for and and weaponizing zero day vulnerabilities right like on one sense you're making it easier to develop the throwing framework to actually weaponize these things and in the other sense you're actively looking for an exploit to exploit is there an ethical difference between those two because one of them enables the average skip in theory, the average script kitty to throw some of these Gucci things if you're if you're just like paying for them, right? I mean, I think uh, this is where I think the the difference comes in. One, we're talking. And I don't necessarily know if one's worse than the other. One, we're talking about ma mass exploiting. Let's use like when Shodan first came out. You could scan. They're scanning <laughs> the internet, and you can find. Linux, uh, Linksys routers, which had the default password. So, like, one sec, let me search Google. Bam, bam, bam. Like, search Shodan. Okay, I found 50,000 Linksys routers. I can just pop with admin, admin, because that's what it was searching for. Versus a, I am buying this piece of malware so I can target Gator specifically. I think for me, that's where the ethical, the ethics of it start spinning of here is a tool that you can do to go do a thing versus here is a thing to go and get Gator's information. 
Okay, so are you saying that if we're talking about scanning for the masses and you're just trying to generally collect data versus if you're targeting somebody, that's the ethical difference? I feel like that's that would be a part of it. I mean, that is intent, isn't it? Yeah, but Ooh. wouldn't that be subjective? Because we don't know what Gator's all up into. He may deserve oh, yeah. it. I could be doing it to save him. <laughs> I'd be doing it to save him. I mean, uh, I want to be. Saved. We're coming for your soul, Gator. You need to say yes. Your soul. I mean, he could be very much <laughs> into balloon animals, and I'm coming to save him from his balloon animal like addiction. <laughs> I mean that 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 is why I'm doing all of the security stuff I do to be able to get into his phone to be able to like get him the help he needs. Is that balloon why he won't share his YouTube uh, history with us? He's just watching <laughs> yeah. balloon yeah. animal <laughs> videos. You cannot kink shame balloon though. animals. Oh, it's, goodness. It's, the only fans. it's not on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, like th that's kind of the question is like, it, I don't know, like one one is a, a targeted attack, but then I, I start throwing my hands up. And here's one of the reasons I throw my hands up <laughs> is because there was a script I wrote and continue to use. It's been 15 years ago today, and it's how I commute. It's my way. My my super sophisticated advanced malware methodology. You, you guys have heard my rant on like anyone who says like I have a super sophisticated complex methodology tool, which we only use internally, is BSing because if they did, they'd go out and sell it. But my yeah. my highly sophisticated malware that I've been using for 15 years to backdoor systems, you know what it is? Like it's not it's not sophisticated. It's it's SSH outbound wrapped in SSL. <laughs> like that's it. There's yeah. no like it's Great SSH secrets. outbound. Oh, God. Like map mapped in SSL. Like and it's it's almost remark it's it's for most networks, it is in incredibly hard to stop because it's an in it's my a day, valid that tunneling what was that <laughs> in my <laughs> day we called that tunneling yeah and that and that's the thing is like that's my point though it is it's not malicious it's not malicious it is tunneling it's tunneling an ssh connection over ssl it's not malicious it has worked for me for over 20 years and there's been one network i've ever been on to stop it because it's a son Let's encrypt made it even better because I can do valid SSL certificates. So unless they're terminating SSL, either way, point being it's, if I release that it's now my script does like smart things is the tunnel up. If not restart it, go check to see if it's up, go ahead, use auto SSH, bind a local one, use public private key encryption. It does all these fa fancy things. But if I release that, it's not a piece of malware. It, heck, you could use it for administration. Used in the wrong way, though, you can backdoor systems with it and maintain a clean, secure connection indefinitely. Does this go back to what Gowry was talking about before of making whether or not the tool is easily usable versus building a front end to make the tool even more usable for everyone else? You took a tool, and Gator and I do this all the time in our day jobs of we have incredibly complex systems. We automate that usage as best as we can so that things are easier to do. And that's generally for us and for other administrators. Am I going out there and taking, uh, we we're talking about CrowdStrike, but I'm out, am I going out there and taking that and am I building a tool to make it easier for me to use and sharing it versus I want everyone on the planet to use it because I want to watch the planet burn? It's a hard question. I don't think we 
So, I mean, I'll, I'll throw this out there. If we can't come up with these answers, Gator said this earlier, just like, you know, the older generation in, in our legislatures are struggling with this. If we can't even come up with these answers, <laughs> what, are the, what is the possibility they get, right? Like, do we think if we were in the spot to make the rules that we would make better rules? I don't think so. And yes. so that's why I said, you know, recognizing our biases at the beginning of this uh, podcast, if you will, uh, taking that Feynman quote of to, to each each person is granted the keys to heaven and the same uh, key opens the gates to hell. And so it is with science. That's kind of the, the realm we operate within. And you do the best you can. I, I put it in the si similar category. Uh, I, I more say it this way. Oftentimes when I work with a client and I say, if we find something egregious, we'll let you know during the test because we don't want to surprise them in the work, uh, report. And they go, I've had the question. I was like, well, what is egregious? I go, well, egregious is very hard to articulate. I go, but we've all smelled it. It's kind of like a fart in the room. We all know it's there and you can recognize it. Every once in a while, it's Chinese food, like throwing it out there. Sometimes it's a fart. Sometimes it's Chinese food. But oftentimes, like you can smell it and you know it's unethical. You know it's a bad thing. But every once in a while, like it, it, it's up for debate. I think there is a I, personally, but, I think there is a clear line between ethic, uh, ethics and not uh, unethical and ethical or tools. But a lot of it, I think, comes down to intent. That line is so, shaving a urinal cake in a public area. <laughs> that no, is no, no, very no. much a line <laughs> which you all have so, crossed. Only, yeah. So as far as the farts go in a room, whether or not that is ethical or unethical, is it ethical for me to hold it in and I suffer? Or is it unethical Shoot. for me to let it out and let everyone else suffer? Let's make this analogy go far too far, which is if you're among friends, you can go ahead and release it. But if you're among untrusted people, maybe you go ahead and, and hold that one in. Unless you have Elevate a dog for the win. I'm pretty say, happy are, are with that analogy. Up? Unless you have a dog, with you, with in which case, game? always blame the dog. Blame the dog. <laughs> always blame the dog. <laughs> Gator, what do you got for us? Are we talking about Mastodon now? Because we're tooting all over each other at this point. Is that how we're ending the conversation? <laughs> is Mastodon actually you called know, toot? It used to be. Not anymore. <laughs> oh, good. But that's the funny part. Because there's tweets versus toots. And now, anyway, this is an interesting issue that I don't think we've necessarily resolved. That this is the, the ongoing debate, right? And how you go through and release your software that you're writing. Um, what your intended use case is. Uh, I like to be able to talk to people to secure about security for education. So we get more secure. We bring up that level of security. So for me, I don't want to gatekeep. I want to teach people about uh, scary things, including like the OMG cables that, you know, they're freaking awesome and they're scary as hell, but it's out of love for the hacker family. Oh, I don't have my, always blame the dog. Gulo, <laughs> <laughs> what do you got for us? Fire can either make a good pizza or turn Tickle Me Elmo into the spawn of Satan. It's a very good point. I think with the ethics of software, it is a very difficult one. Um, I don't like the idea of gatekeeping when it comes to security because I know that was the barrier of entry for really all of us on this call was information wasn't really readily accessible. 
Now it is. You have tools. Hack the box. Try hack me. You have binary, uh, binary ninja. Rele- I just noticed it. Hold on. In the middle of my wrap up, I'm seeing you guys share like balloon animals and whatnot in <laughs> chat. You're all terrible people. Terrible people. With that, uh, I really do think it's hard to articulate what at what point is it ethical versus unethical. I don't like the idea of gatekeeping. I do often think like it's a struggle. I think sharing information. I think open source is a beautiful thing. At the end of the day, though, you got to dive in and hack on.